Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. The views and opinions expressed by contributors on the Spoon River Gothic podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the position of the host. Material heard on the Spoon River Gothic podcast is intended for adult listeners. This podcast deals with mature topics that may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. This is Spoon River Gothic, narrative of a double homicide.
Uh, usually she would leave before I did because she was getting paid by the hour. And I like to stay for a while, finish something I was doing while the phone couldn't ring. So she'd usually go home right at five and I'd stay for a little while. So, and she would have, she would have waved goodbye or something on her way out that night, but I just, I don't remember that. It was the day after my son's first birthday and I invited Donna and Justine to come over for supper that night. It was snowing and cold, and but they they didn't come over, and you know that was the morning. The following morning was when she died. You know, for some time, I believe she pretty sure she had Justine when she came to work at the bank. But when she had her child, <laughs> when she had a husband, I have no doubt he was the most important thing in life to her. He's a farm boy, like a lot of others, you know, I grew up with. Uh, I knew John's family a little bit, and because our daughter was born in 90, Justine must have been born in 89. And once she had, a, she had Justine, there, there was no doubt that she was a good mother. And then her daughter, uh, my wife and our, our her, she and Justine and our daughter were nearly the same age. Justine was about a year older, so my wife had babysit both of them and let them play together and stuff. And she was a cute little girl, dark hair, where uh, our little girl had lighter hair. But, you know, they were both growing up in the same town, and thank God our daughter uh, lived to do most of what she's done in life. She's getting married next May. She talked a lot about her family. Um, when she found out that her mother had cancer, you know, she was really obsessed with that. And her mother didn't live very long. And, you know, we, quite a few people from the bank went up to LaSalle, Peru for her mother's funeral. And she grew up in Connecticut. Christmas and New Year's 
I took a little heat at the bank for letting her go during the holidays because January, the first day in January was a big day for the trust department, but she wanted to go home real bad, you know, and let me know that. And I said, you got vacation coming, you go, you know, we'll get it worked out until you get back. And when she got back, she thanked me profusely. And uh, there's no way I would have told her no, she couldn't go home and have Christmas and New Year's with her family, my God. And other bank officers came in, a couple of them that uh, thought I was fighting to be the president or something, tried to criticize me. And I threw their butts out of my office in no uncertain terms. I was old enough that uh, I try to get along with everybody, but don't try to abuse me because I'm not going to take it. I eventually, they've learned that. And uh, I was better friends with the chairman of the board by then than they were. He treated me like the grandfather I never had. Hey, God, she was a pretty young lady with long legs. Uh, I, I don't think she dressed any differently than anybody else, as far as I know. She was just a nice Italian Catholic girl, is about all that. And I did call her apartment. Because I had her home phone number. I don't think either one of us had a cell phone in those days. But I did call her apartment and got the, her answering machine. So they asked me, uh, do, you, do you and Donna call each other besides at work? I go, I don't remember ever doing that. I wouldn't bother her at all. I see her at work every day. I don't, I don't think either of us really ever thought about it, you know? It just wasn't like that. It got all the girls in law school in my class, I don't think I ever asked a single one of those girls to go for a drink or for dinner. You know, we were friends. We were friends. We just didn't treat each other like that. We trusted each other saw each other in class, <laughs> socialized together, everything else, you know. It's kind of like one of the army buddies, and all your time with that group of people. But, yeah, came to Canton in 1984. Very small firm, you know. Uh, I'm pretty sure I met her on the very first day that I showed up at work at Claude and Lloyd Barnardville. She was probably fresh out of college when I met her, and that would have been in 84, I think. Chet told me where to go to get an apartment and where to go to open a bank account, and I did. She waited on me, and what I remember was when she told me her name, you know, and I kind of asked her to repeat it, and I said, that sounds Italian. What does it mean? You know, and, and she said, well, it means something like, my dear friend. You know, I remember that that's what she always was to me. She wasn't your friend. Two hundreds of people in that town, not just me. I invited her to the Kiwanis Club, Inner Club. And all the other guys in the club had known her longer than I had. I think I might have taken her out for dinner once after that. 
could say we had two dates, but I don't think she considered him much of a date, or neither did I. She didn't. She hadn't been in town long, and I had just moved to Canton, you know, from Galesburg, and we had made friends there. And I did invite her to the Kiwanis Club function, and then I don't know. I must have seen her or been in the bank or something. And we said hi, and I said, you want to go out for dinner sometime or something like that? And I took her to the little restaurant in my hometown, Population 200. So I just did a variety of law, not for long, you know, what, nine months or something like that. I weren't, It wasn't going well. You know, I felt like they were expecting a lot more of me than I was able to produce then. I was working a lot of hours trying to be familiar with what I needed. I thought, 
Madonna's car there, and it's like 40-unit apartment or something. I, I think that's Donna's car. So I looked at it. There's a car seat in the back. I thought, that's Justine's car seat. So I knew she was home and something was badly wrong. Something just wasn't right, you know, and I've never been so excited in my life as discovering that fire, being afraid they were inside, trying to do what I could, you know. I was just, I don't talk about it, but I'm not afraid to bring it back up, you know. It kind of makes me feel better to know that someone understands in case it might help somebody else someday. I uh, had no idea what was going on, but there was a big, heavy, probably that did the whole apartment window air conditioner right by the door to her apartment. And I pulled that out of the window and it was so heavy with my arms extended, I couldn't hold it. And it pulled me over, you know, bent over and a fireball went over my head. But my wife had bought me a, what was for us a very expensive winter coat not long before that. And there are still tiny specks on the lapel of that coat that I can see. It's still hanging in the closet. It was a black, long, uh, can't remember, what do you call that stuff? Kind of a fuzzy, uh, suede-like thing. My wife paid over $400 for that, you know, what, Christmas of 83 or 84. That was a very nice dress coat that I could wear to the bank or to church or a funeral or wherever I was going. And I haven't worn it now for a long time, but it's still the best coat I own. That vented the fire. And, you know, the fire was really going. Uh, it was, the smoke was incredibly thick, incredibly thick. You can't imagine. You really can't imagine. And for a little while it was white. I still kind of wonder what was burning there, that the smoke could be so white. But it poured out of that rectangular window like like a smokestack, you know, like it was a locomotive. And the wind was really strong, and the smoke came out toward me, and it immediately got whipped away, I think, towards the east, you know. And that was when, poof. You know, I just had to get inside. I mean, I would have punched through the front door with my fist. So then I thought, I gotta get in. So I pulled a little piece of trim off, I think a screen, and used that to make a small hole in the front door. Took one of my gloves off, I put it under my other arm like I have a habit of doing. Reached my hand inside, found the lock and unlocked it, and opened the door wide. Oh my God, you know, what a nightmare. But I thought, maybe I can see better. So I think I got down on all fours right in the doorway, and I could see a glow, which to me, I thought was probably the place, not necessarily where the fire started, but what was burning most or hottest at that moment. It was just a glow through the smoke. I saw it. I'll tell anybody who wants to know that I saw that and I have a pretty good idea how far away it was and the angle it was from where I was crouching. I saw it. <laughs>
and I saw things that morning that no one else did, but I couldn't get in that apartment. I just knew if I got in there, I wasn't going to get out, you know, it was, the smoke was incredibly thick, incredibly thick, you can't imagine. Spoon River Gothic is a production of Lone Bird Media in association with CZ Studio. The show is produced by August Olson, editing, directing, and producing by Corey Zimmerman. Audio mastering and engineering by E. Mastered. Research is done by Anne-Marie Cannon, Chelsea Mesa, and me, Jinra Illustrisimo. Spoon River Gothic is written and hosted by Corey Zimmerman. You can follow the show at czstudio.works and read the blog at spoonrivergothic.com. Show some love by leaving us a rating or review on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And stay tuned for the next episode as we dive deeper into the Donald Bull case. Thank you for listening. This is Spoon River Gothic, narrative of a double homicide. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.